Good morning. It is wonderful to be with you, and this is uh, an incredible privilege always to preach uh, the Word of God. I've been doing it for nearly four decades now, and it, it never gets boring. And there's always kind of that sense of I'm, we rep- whoever preaches is representing God and representing His uh, eternal Word. And so I always come in some sense of fear and trembling because I, I, I don't want to misrepresent God or His Word ever. But this really is a, a, something we've been passionate about. I, we did have a great time on Wednesday. I, I shared there with, with, I'm sure some of you were there. How many were there on Wednesday? not to expose you. Um, But in in many ways, I got born again into uh, the end of the Jesus people movement, which was a move of God, and kind of into the faith movement, which was a move of God. And uh, then there was the Toronto blessing that came through, and and we've just seen and been a part of, it's just been kind of how God has led us. We came in in the late 70s, early 80s into... Uh, the, the kingdom and, and the church of Jesus. And uh, this, this excites me. Everything about God excites me. Amen? His mercy excites me. His, his peace excites me. His uh, uh, justice excites me. I'm, I'm an excited person. I can't be that grumpy grandfather. <laughs> but... Um, so on this journey, this, this series from journey from the triumphal entry, uh, obviously through the, the cross and the resurrection and, and uh, just about, we're on the brink of Pentecost, um, which is the, the outpouring of the empowering of the Spirit. I get to do this amazing part of the series. And uh, so I don't have notes, um, but if you want to try and, and take notes, you're very welcome. When I was at Bible school, I heard... Um, a version of this. I was trying to find out where it was. I can't remember where my Bible school notes are anymore. Um, a prayer of a dedication by supposedly an old Pentecostal preacher in Red Rock, Mississippi. Anyone from Red Rock here? So I'm going to try my very best to speak with a, an old Pentecostal Red Rock, Mississippi accent. This was his prayer. O Lord, give thy servant this morning the eyes of the eagle and the wisdom of the owl. Connect his soul with the gospel telephone in the central skies. Hallelujah. Illuminate his brow with the sun of heaven. Possess his mind with love for the people. Turpentine his imagination. Grease his lips with possum oil. Loosen his tongue with the sledgehammer of thy power. Electrify his brain with the lightning of the word. Put perpetual motion in his arms. Fill him plumb full of the dynamite of thy glory. Anoint him all over with the kerosene oil of thy salvation. And then, Lord, set him on fire. Hallelujah. (laughs) How was that? Any Americans in the house? I apologize. Now, I'm not going to pray that at the end of this meeting. <laughs> I feel like maybe I should. Did anyone feel there was something there? No? Okay. So I'm not going to pray that prayer. 
But I love the heart, and I love the passion. And uh, I want to say today that uh, God, has, as I said on, on Wednesday, the power of God is not an option in the church, according to God. And we, have, and we cannot think we can live in powerlessness and serve God and fulfill what He's called us to do. It's impossible. So I want to read just two or three scriptures. You can follow me. I'm going to flip through them really quickly. Kind of a build up towards uh, the, the outpouring of the Spirit of God. And uh, this is the, one of the texts I used on Wednesday, Luke 24 49. Jesus speaking, he said this to the disciples Behold, I'm sending you the promise of my Father. I said on Wednesday, I repeat it again today this that we are speaking about, the outpouring of the Spirit of God. Pentecost is a promise from the Father. Now, I want every promise from God. Amen? This is kind of a not negotiable. This is not a, like, I'll take it or I'll leave it. This, uh, this is a promise from the Father that from on high. I'm going to send it upon you. Then he says this, but stay in the city until you are clothed with power from on high. In other words, you've, you've sat with me for three years. You've heard me. I've taught uh, many things about the, the kingdom and, and the church. And I've demonstrated what it's like to operate in power and the anointing. But he said, now I, you, you have the instruction, but you need the power. And so don't think about moving out of Jerusalem until you are clothed with power from on high. And I said on Wednesday, I repeat it again today. That ought to be for every single one of you and I. That ought to be a description of every, every one of us. I am clothed, wrapped around, completely encompassed around about by the power that is the dunamis of the dynamite explosive power of God. Amen. Does that describe you, sir? Are you mad? It ought to. Acts 1.8, Jesus again speaking. He appears to his disciples over a period of a uh, number of days. And then he said, you will receive power, the same word, dunamos, when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. And you will be witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and even to the ends of the earth. Again, he's picking up on what he had spoken about uh, in, in, in Luke. Wait for this power. You're going to have dunamos power. And then you will be witnesses. Martyrs, Matreo, to the ends of the earth. In other words, you can't do this without the power of God. This explosive power and glory of God. Acts 2 verse 1. And when the day of Pentecost arrived, remember Pentecost had been celebrated for hundreds and hundreds of years. But when it had fully arrived, those were the, the feasts of Israel, I don't have time to get into that now, we're all speaking forward, all looking forward towards Jesus. Passover was celebrated from Moses' days, but was speaking ultimately of the Lamb of God that was sacrificed for us. That was the fulfillment. Passover was the fulfillment of Jesus coming. Pentecost now was a fulfillment of the outpouring of the Spirit of God. When it had fully come, they were all together in one place, and suddenly they came from heaven, the sound like a mighty rushing wind. Notice from heaven. This was something that they went, they didn't, you didn't generate this thing. You didn't go to a college or a, a seminary or a cemetery to, to get this power. 
This was from generated from heaven. It came and sounded like a mighty rushing, mighty hallelujah, a mighty rushing wind. Still got that Mississippi thing happening. Oh, hallelujah. A mighty rushing wind. And it filled the entire house where they were sitting and divided tongues of fire appeared to them and rested on each of them. Each of them. And they were all filled. Can you say all? Does that mean you? Or I didn't, it wasn't kind of selected, bouncing over one or two, you know, chosen, frozen in the meeting. It came and rested on all of them, and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began speaking in other tongues as the Spirit of God gave them the utterance. Just a quick note as we pray in a short while for those who who want this encounter with God, who, who, who do believe the Scriptures, who do want the promise of the Father, that the Spirit gives you the utterance. I, I, I get kind of frustrated with people, and I'm praying, we're praying for them to be filled with the Holy Spirit, and they keep praying. And we're saying, no, this is not about you. This is not about you. I, I've got so many funny stories. I'll tell you one. A friend of mine was, uh, kind of got saved out of a very traditional church. He, um, I can't tell the story here. Anyway, he had this kind of big, back in the 70s, he had this big kind of Afro uh, hairstyle. Got saved a little bit kind of out of the hippie era. So he comes to church, he gets born again, and he hears about this, you know, uh, speaking in tongues, being baptized with power and in the fullness of the Spirit. And so he's like, yeah, I'm, I'm available. I'm in. So he comes up, he's the only... New guy in the church for like 20 years. So all eyes and all hands come upon him as he comes forward to be uh, receive this, this infilling. So he's got kind of these 20, 30 pairs of hands pushing down on him. People praying and chundying and kind of spitting and spraying over him. And he's standing there and he's kind of big mop hairs now pressed flat. All these curls are all being spat on and, and pushed down. And people are saying, be filled and speak and speak and speak. And he's thinking, dear Lord, what must I say? He had no instruction. I'm going to give you some instruction. He had no instruction. Standing there like this, kind of stand up under the pressure of 40 pairs of hands. And he says, standing there, and his mop of hairs all kind of being pushed aside. And, and, and they say, pray. And he's thinking, God, what do I do? I need to be released from these people. Never mind, you come upon me. So he's thinking, he's thinking, he's thinking while they've been praying, he spat on it, and ah, he said, I got it. The only religious thing he ever heard about. So he stands there and such shouts out loud as he can, Santa Maria! <laughs> and these 40 pairs of hands go, <laughs> and they're about to start a deliverance session on him then, to this kind of religious spirit. They all left, and he ran out the church. Now that's not what we're saying. Not about you speaking. The Bible says here that the Spirit gives you the utterance. So when I got baptized in the Holy Spirit, I remember it's, it, Jesus talks about the river of living water. I just remember something. It, it was unintelligible. You don't figure that you don't you don't go and learn tongues. And I'm, I, that's not the main focus of what we're talking about tongues, but it's an evidence. One of the evidences of being filled with the Holy Spirit. You don't go and learn at a college how to speak in tongues. It's the prayer language of the Holy Spirit. So you've got to allow the Spirit of God, not through your mind, but through your spirit. Amen? So he gives the utterance. So I, I began, the night I got baptized in the Holy Spirit, I don't know what I was saying. It sounded like all kinds of 
groaned and moaned. And, and, and I was just, I knew the power of God and the, and the, and the fire of God was, was all over me. I sensed his presence in such a very real way. He gives the utterance. So just don't pray Santa Maria or Coca-Cola backwards or Suzuki, Yamaha, Kawasaki. Anyway. Peter, just after that, as, as the, these kind of people came spilling out from the upper room and uh, people, they were accused of drunkenness. But can I say this to you? When the Holy Spirit comes, when God comes onto you and in you and works through you, something changes. A man, a friend of mine, describes it as running in, uh, standing in the middle of, of Sheikh Zayed and an 18-wheeler, 20-ton truck comes down at 160 kilometers like they normally drive on Sheikh Zayed and hits you. And by the time it grinds to a halt 100 meters down the road and they peel you off the bull catcher in the front of the truck, he said, you've changed. You've been readjusted and realigned. You walk differently, and you talk. You look like one of those crinkle-cut chips. You're changed. Now, we're talking about the power from heaven, the power from on high, the dunos of the Holy Spirit. I want to say, folks, there ought to be change. When he comes in, the, in his glory. Now, don't fear that thing. And, and, and so these guys were accused of drunkenness. And Peter stands up and he says this. These people are not drunk. Because people were hearing their own language. They're from all over the world. They'd come for the festival of Pentecost. And they were hearing their own praises of God in their own language. And I guess there was some sense of having been peeled off the front of a, of a big truck. And he said, these are not drunk as you suppose. But this is what the, was uttered through the prophet Joel. In the last days, God declares, I will pour out my spirit on all flesh. Your sons and daughters will prophesy. Your young men will see visions. Your old men will dream dreams. Even on my male servants and female servants in those days, I will pour out my spirit and they will prophesy. And so he points to scripture. We need to do that all the time. This is that that Joel prophesied about. This is the promise. This is what we've been celebrating for hundreds of years in Pentecost. It's not some dry uh, uh, ceremony. This is the outpouring of the Holy Spirit. When everyone's going to be prophesying, filled with the Holy Spirit, speaking beyond what they're able to in the natural. That, folks, is the church that Jesus began to build and is coming back for. Amen? So if you want a title for this message, it's, being a church that is on fire for God. And I want to say that that's always been the heart of God for His church right from the beginning. He speaks to John on the Isle of Patmos and, he, and, and John has a revelation by the Spirit of God about the churches in a certain part of the area, uh, of Asia Minor. And he says, uh, Jesus says, he's, he, John sees him walking amongst the churches and he said, now write this to the church. He said, the, the church are like lampstands, and he said, there's, there's one like the Son of God walking amongst the lampstands. I do believe that's true even today. Jesus is building his church. He's amongst his church. He's here today, and he walks through the church, and he says, now, John, write what, you, what I tell you, what I'm seeing. 
and he begins to write to each of these seven churches, and he writes to this church that is in existence then, and I do believe it's still representative in some ways of some of the church today. And he says to to Laodicea, he said, I know your works. You are neither cold, and that means chilly, like getting the cold shoulder, giving the cold shoulder to God. You're not cold, nor are you hot, which is boiling, glowing, and fervent. This is Jesus speaking, his church. And he says this, would that you are either cold, either give me the cold shoulder, is better. Of course, better is to be, the best is to be hot or be hot. So because you are neither hot nor cold, you are lukewarm, I will spit or vomit. It's, it's a gagging sense in God's throat, in his mouth. This lukewarm church, I know your works. I know who you are. And he's not talking to a church, he's talking to people, of course, because people are the church. And he's saying, you're not hot or cold. Better if you are cold. Best if you are hot, on fire, fervent, boiling. But he said, don't be in this place of lukewarmness. It's, there is no place in the kingdom of God. I don't believe there's any place in the church to be lukewarm. Kind of this wishy-washy, limp-wristed, you know, oh, God, deliver us. This is the heart of God for, for his church and certainly for well of life today. And so my first point is why? Why is God wanting this church on fire? One, it's because it represents his character. God in Deuteronomy 4.23 is described as a, as a consuming fire. Take care, verse 23 of Deuteronomy 4. Lest you forget the covenant of the Lord your God which he made with you, and make carved images. For the Lord your God is a consuming fire. He's a jealous and a holy God. God has covenanted with his people, and he's talking in the, in the context here about idol worship and about having other gods and having other passions, and, and, and he's being described here as a God who is jealous, is a consuming fire. He says later on in Deuteronomy that I'm the, I'm the, he's a God who goes before you as a consuming fire. He's a righteous judge, and he's a holy judge, and he wants his church to represent him. His throne room in the book of Revelation 4 and verse 5 is surrounded by fire. From the throne come flashes of lightning and rumblings and peals of thunder. And before the throne were burning seven torches of fire, which are the sevenfold spirit of God. If you have a vision and a picture of God this morning, it's going to be around this thing of fire and thunder and lightning and glory and holiness and power. And I want to say that we are representative of that. Amen? Or should be. Or are you? When people look at you. Not only God the Father, but Jesus. We should have understood he wants a a church that is on fire always. And we've gone through the church age with what was called the dark ages. And I'm thinking, how on earth does a church that should be on fire end up in the dark ages? That the light almost is, is extinguished. 
that God always keeps a remnant, but folks, I don't want to be a remnant. Amen? I don't want to build a remnant. I don't want to be a, a, a part of a, a kind of a, a waning, uh, waxing away a church. I want to be a part of a church that is on fire, glowing brighter and brighter in God through the power and in glory. And in Revelation 2.18, John sees, uh, says, is, is called the right to the angel of Thyatira, the church in Thyatira. And he said, these words are the, the words of the Son of God whose eyes are like flames of fire and whose feet are like burnished bronze. In Jesus' life, the disciples record this about Jesus. When he walked into the church slash the temple, and he saw it had been turned into a, what he described as a, a den of thieves. And he begins turning over tables and begins uh, chasing out people with a whip and saying, you've made, it should be a, my father's house, my tabernacle, my place that represents me, ought to be a, a, a place of prayer for all nations. You've made it a den of thieves. And it says that the disciples remember that it was written of him, that zeal, and that word means heat, it means the, the jealousy of a, of a husband and indignation. Zeal for your house has devoured me, has consumed me. We need to be a zealous people for his church. Amen? And for his bride. And we can't allow some of the stuff which you don't want to get distracted on. The Holy Spirit himself, in, in, in God's triune uh, being in existence. Each of them represents something of fire. The Holy Spirit, who doesn't talk a whole lot about himself, is described severally in Scripture as fire. Matthew chapter 3 and verse 11. John the baptizer speaking, and he said, I, I baptize you with water, but someone's coming after me who's more mightier than I am. I'm not worthy to undo the sandals of his feet. He said, he's going to baptize you with the Holy Spirit and with fire. He's described as oil. You anoint my head with oil. And I've already read the scripture about him being the dynamite in our lives. And of course, we as a church are called to represent him. Now I want to describe now what does a church on fire mean? Three things, and then we're going to pray. Are you with me? Number one. What does a church on fire mean? Number one, it means it does not quench the things of God. We are called to be fire starters and fire carriers and not fire extinguishers. Amen? And we've got too many wet blankets. Those are fire blankets. And you see someone kind of catching fire. <laughs> and so Paul writes to, to church in Thessalonica in 1 Thessalonians 5 and verse 19. And he says this very thing. He says, do not quench, do not extinguish, do not put out, do not allow to go out the Spirit. It's possible that we can quench him. Wow, God, why would we do this? And one of the descriptions is, is, don't despise prophecy. When the Spirit of God is moving, when the gifts of God are moving, and you start to... 
that there's abuse and there's misuse, so we just want to push it aside. That's, you're being a wet blanket. You're just, you're putting out potentially the Spirit's fire. Now, that doesn't mean we don't judge prophecy. That's very clear in Scripture we do that. But it's those who are spiritual, those who are uh, heading up in ministry and heading up churches who do that. Those who are spiritual need to judge the prophecy. What we don't want to do at Church on Fire is not quenching what God is doing. Amen? I think this has happened again and again and again. Because sometimes when the Spirit of God moves, it's not messy. It is messy. You know, I know I've told this story here before, but uh, Rana Bonke, the, the guy we worked with, an evangelist, was, was praying, uh, uh, preaching in a meeting in a, in a city hall early on in his ministry. And he said that right in the middle of his message, the Spirit of God uh, t- touched someone and that, a blind person got healed. And he said it became holy chaos. He was on point to sub point three A and God healed someone of blindness. And he said the place started to go crazy. And so people just left their seats. He kind of put his Bible down in his notes. It was kind of the end of the sermon. I want to say this. Holy Spirit, you're free to interrupt me. Anytime. Cast out demons. Heal the sick. I hope if there's anyone dead here, they get raised. And so people rush down to the front and, 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 and all kind of clamoring, a hand laid on them and, and to kind of pick up on the flow of what God was doing. And uh, people started falling down and getting healed and, and demons were being cast out. And he said there were a couple of religious leaders who had come to spectate. And uh, they came forward to the front and, and they began pulling on, on Reinhardt's trousers, trousers on the platform, pulled them aside and said, uh, uh, Reverend Bonke, what's happening here? And he said, I don't know. All I know is I didn't ask these people to lie down. And then he he said to them, he said, you know what? There's two types of order. He said, there is the graveyard order. And some churches are like that. He said, if you want not to be disturbed, Take your chair and go and put it in the middle of a cemetery, a graveyard. Everything is neat. Everything is in lines. I promise you, you will not be disturbed. He said the other type of order is the maternity ward order. He said everything is in lines. All the beds, all the, the wards are in lines. But he said there is chaos. There is screaming. There is shouting. There is some running around, there is blood, there is all these things. But he said there is life. In the cemetery order, there is only death. And I want to say sometimes when God moves, like on the day of Pentecost, there were things happening that, that the disciples weren't used to. They weren't, God didn't warn them about, you're going to look like you're drunk. You're going to start speaking in a language you've never learned. He didn't tell them. He just said, wait until you're clothed with power. Until the Holy Spirit is so upon you and in you and through you, you are, and I've prayed this so many times. I got nervous the first time I prayed it. But I said, Holy Spirit, I want you to possess me. 
comes. <laughs> he comes running. <laughs> and we hear so much about demon possession, and I've prayed for so many people who are demon possessed. And they take on the full character of the demon. They live that way, they talk that way, they look that way. I'm saying, I want Holy Spirit, glory of God, power of God, presence of God in me and through me, through my, what I say, through what I do, the way I live, the way I talk, the way I walk. I don't want to be a fire extinguisher. I want to be a fire lighter. Paul also says this, do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God by whom you were sealed on the day of redemption. That word grieve means to bring sorrow. It means to cause distress. Church on fire does not quench. There was a man in the 50s called Jim Elliott. I'm sure you've heard of him or read of him. 1956, he was martyred in Ecuador. And this is his quote. Reading from Hebrews, he starts in, in Hebrews 1 verse 7, and he said this, He makes his ministers a flame of fire. Then he's asked this question, which I'm asking you and, and of me. Am I ignitable? God, deliver me from the dread asbestos. I don't even know if people know about asbestos these days. It was used for fire in suits and, and clad in buildings because it's fire resistant. Now it's really bad for you, apparently. But he's praying here, Lord, deliver me from the dread asbestos of other things. Saturate me with the oil of the Spirit that I may be a flame. But flame is transient, often short-lived. Can thou, thou bear this, my soul, a short life? In me there dwells the Spirit of the great short-lived, talking about Jesus, whose zeal for God's house consumed him. Then he finished this prayer saying this, Make me thy fuel, O flame of God. Am I, are you ignitable this morning? Secondly, one, it doesn't quench. Two, it doesn't compromise. And I've already read the scripture from the Laodicean church. God speaking says, be hot, church, my church, well of life, you sir, you man, be hot, on fire. Or be cold. close of this. The church on fire does not quench. It does not compromise. Thirdly, it is combustible. It is flammable. And I hear it so much today, and I have friends, this is not a criticism, I hear so much about burnout. Mike, you don't know the pressures in ministry. I heard it just this week. I'm, I'm burning out. I'm burning out. And I just think, how? When Moses had this encounter with God Almighty, the thing that drew him to what was a representative of the angel of God or the, or the person of God was that the bush was on fire, but it was not consumed. 
And when God's fire comes on us, folks, it does not consume us. It's inexhaustible when His fire comes. It's like those candles, they annoy me to the nth degree. You have a beautiful birthday cake. All you want to do is eat the cake, and someone with, with great uh, sincerity puts on candles that do not go out. And everyone's laughing while you blow and huff and puff, and uh, you end up spitting all over the cake because you're blowing so hard, because all you want to do is eat the cake. But the flame is back again. That's how we ought to be. Amen? When people come and try and put out the flame, oh, it's gone. Oh, there he is again. You can't admit it. And the devil comes and you have a bad hair day. Oh, then the next day, there you are. The fire of God is burning in you. I, I saw a photo of this many years ago of, of a man called William Branham. How many have heard of William Branham? Okay, because it's really long ago. He lived. And uh, yeah, when I was in high school, no, it wasn't. Um, but he was an amazing man of God. He didn't uh, end his journey hugely well. But in his day, as an evangelist, the, the newspapers in the places that he visited and would pitch his tent to have kind of evangelistic outreach meetings, one particularly that, that I've, seen, I've seen a photo of from the newspaper. There was this fire that did not burn, did not consume over the tent. So intense was the burning or the light of that fire that they called out the fire brigade who came and they took the photo. It was the presence of God and was the glory of God burning in and over those people and over those meetings. It was Lord who makes his servants a flaming fire. I think it's part of what, what was represented on, on the day of Pentecost when it said, a cloven tongues of fire set upon each head. For those who might have not known or those who are visiting world life for the first time, and if God does that today, hallelujah. How many want fire in their heads? I mean, not real fire. It purifies the power of God, the fire of God. It's explosive. It talks about the dunamis of, of, of the power of God. It ignites something in you and me. It says in Luke 4 of Jesus, it said he returned from being tested and tried and tempted by the devil in Luke 4. It said he returned in the power, the dunamis of the Spirit of God. And I remember a trip I went on, um, actually going to fetch a, a vehicle from another town. And I, I'd been asked to go and preach in a couple of the churches in that city. And as I put my, about to board the plane, I put my foot on the first rung of the ladder, I heard this verse on the inside. I planned to preach on something else, but as I put my foot there, I heard this. You will, from Luke 4, 14, you will return in the power of the Spirit. And I felt the presence of God so strong, I spent the next two hours of the flight re-preparing re what I was going to preach on the weekend. And I preached in a couple of churches, and God 
People got saved, people got healed, people got set free. It was just amazing. I came back from picking up my new vehicle and it broke down in the middle of absolutely nowhere. And I was binding the devil and kicking the tires and slamming the hood because I know nothing about mechanics. And I ended up in a, in a church midway between the city that I live in and the city where I went to fetch the vehicle. Three days. Three days it took to fix the car. And I ended up staying with the, the pastors. who They're having a three-day conference in the middle. Well, no, the town's kind of the middle of nowhere, in the middle of the kind of flat farming community. It took three days to fix my car. I spent three days being so impacted by the presence of God. It was one of those meetings where, which we're inviting you to over these couple of weeks, by the way, of just coming and soaking in His presence, just in allowing God to come in all His glory, all His power, and all His majesty, just to come for some of you and light that fire, ignite that fire, or fan into flame some of you. It's fueled by the baptism of the Holy Spirit. We believe this is a legitimate part of the Christian experience. It does not save you. I said on Wednesday that we, when we receive Christ as Lord and Savior, we receive the Holy Spirit. But He comes in what I said in a kind of a latent form. And the Spirit, when baptized in the Spirit, kind of is the spark of the Holy Spirit to, to bring all that latent power and latent glory into kind of a potent expression of of who he is. 